creating a scenario where there's accountability if I don't, mm-hmm. right? And that's, that's where the community aspect comes in. And so if I'm not there, either somebody's like, hey, bro, you didn't hit this, or I hit this, or should have been that. Would if people call me out in a good way, it's super, super supportive. Mm-hmm. Um, but if, if I don't have a location, a time, and accountability associated with it, then very easy for me yeah. to stray away from that. So last week, we dove into the book Atomic Habits by an author named James Clear. And if you didn't join us last week, pause this episode because nobody starts uh, with a part two. That'd be weird. That'd be a weird mm-hmm. thing to do. Go back, listen to last week's episode. We laid the foundation for a four-week series, four-week study uh, that we're doing, a book review, if you will. Mm-hmm. Uh, on the book, like I said, Atomic Habits by James Clear. So last week we set the set the groundwork, uh, talked about a couple different uh, concepts. We talked about making small changes versus trying to mm-hmm. jump all in and make these huge massive changes. We talked about progress and why it seems like progress doesn't happen as quickly as we want. We talked about setting up systems versus setting goals, which was an interesting uh, concept that James has here. And then we talked about the four-step process of building a habit, which are cue craving response and reward and that really leads us into the heart of the book and the heart of the book is uh, a four law um, system he's established Mm -hmm. for habit change and so like i said over the next few weeks we're going to dive into those four laws individually today Mm -hmm. we're going to talk about the first two laws the first two laws are the first law is make it attract sorry make it obvious and that correlates with the cue, right? You see something um, that you that sparks your interest. That's uh, so. So the first law is to make it obvious, and the second law is to make it attractive. So regarding the first law, make something obvious, right? Whatever that cue is, you want it to be as obvious as possible. And reading from the book, he says the human brain is a prediction prediction machine. It is continuously taking in your surroundings and analyzing the information it comes across. Whenever you experience something repeatedly, your brain begins noticing what is important, sorting through the details and highlighting the relevant cues and cataloging that information for future use. Your ability to notice relevant cues in a given situation is the foundation for every habit that you have. Over time, the cues that spark our habits become so common that they are essentially invisible. The treats on the kitchen counter, the remote control next to the couch, the phone in our pocket, Our responses to these cues are so deeply encoded that it may feel like the urge to act comes from nowhere. For this reason, we must begin the process of behavior change with awareness. Mm -hmm. So how do we do that? How do we go about, yeah, we get it. You got to make something obvious, but how do you even go about that? And so what he does is he, he highlights three strategies that you can implement to make a habit obvious. Basically, three strategies to try to create that cue to get you act, to act the way that you're trying to act. The number one thing you can do, uh, or the first strategy that he, that he talks about, is called an implementation intention. And Tyler, you mentioned this last week. This is basically a plan you make beforehand about when and where to act. Basically, how do you intend to implement a particular habit? 
And so from the book, uh, I want to read this one quite one quick excerpt. And then Tyler, I want to see maybe where you've uh, done this, where maybe knowingly or unknowingly, where you've you've utilized implementation intentions. So he says, people who make a specific plan for when and where they will perform a new habit are more likely to follow through. Too many people try to change their habits without these basic details figured out. We tell ourselves, I'm going to eat healthier, or I'm going to write more, but we never say when and where these habits are going to happen. We leave it up to chance and hope that we will just remember to do it or feel motivated at the right time. So how does this play into action? What's a simple way to do this? The simple way to apply this strategy to your habits is to fill out this, the following sentence. I will, and then write in the behavior you're trying to, trying to implement, at whatever time you're trying to implement it, in whatever location. So I will, so for instance, he used the example of studying. I will study Spanish for 20 minutes at 6 p.m. in my bedroom. Can you think of any habits where you do this already? I didn't know this is what this called. This was called, mm. but implementation intention, writing down what it is that you're setting out to do. Can you think of anything that you do that for already? Well, I mean, I think I think working out, it's it, is number one. And one thing that I struggled with coming out of playing football was I just would try to fit it in when I could fit it in. Yep, and it was one of those How often things did that work out <laughs> once, once, yeah. twice a week, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's probably more accurate to say five, six times a month it would work out. And so it was, uh, it was something that says, okay, I, I will work out at five or six o'clock, depending on what I have that morning, um, and that is what I will do, and I will, and I will go do it, and I'll do it at a gym with other people where there's accountability. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's one of the things for since last May that has been consistent for the first time since when I played. Yeah. And so actually putting it into plan, putting a time, putting a location, and that's not just, hey, go to the gym by myself when I want to, when I can. It's no, I'm going. And, and then also, too, is creating a, a, um, a scenario. Um, and I don't want to jump ahead here, but like – the third topic here, but creating a scenario where there's accountability if I don't. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's, that's where the community aspect comes in. And so if I'm not there, either somebody's like, Hey bro, you didn't hit this or I hit this or should have been that would, if people call me out in a good way, it's super, super supportive. Mm-hmm. Um, but if, if I don't have a location, a time and accountability associated with it, then very easy for me to stray away from that. Yeah. Yeah. For me. And this was something that it took a little bit to establish. Again, I didn't know this. I didn't know what it was called, but four or five years ago when I started waking up early and working out first thing in the morning, that's what I was trying. This is what I was trying to solve for was the, the tendency for me at the time was just get to my workout whenever I got to it. I worked at a gym at the time that I established this habit. So I was always in the gym. So it was inevitable. It was going to happen at some point, Mm -hmm. but it was really random. One day it may have been 11 AM. The next day it may not have been until 3 PM because I was leaving it up the chance. I was taking, you know, care of other things, which is fine, but this is a habit that I really wanted to establish. So when I really made the decision that I wanted to establish this habit, I had to change something. And what I did was I started waking up earlier and at a certain time and saying, the first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to work out 
right when I wake up. Yep. Because nobody in the world, I've said this before, nobody in the world needs me at 4.35 a.m., yep. right? So that is a time that I know for sure that I can get my workout on. So I, what I did was I established, okay, every single morning I'm going to wake up at 4.30 and I'm going to be in the gym by 5 a.m. That got the ball rolling. Now it's not even a second thought. That's just what I do. It it's, goes back to what we talked about last week. It's become part of my identity. It's no longer a decision I have to make. It's just, all right, I know for sure that I'm going to wake up early and I'm going to work out. Too many times, especially in our business, you don't, you don't really control your day. Right. right. You may think, you know, I'm going to be done with work by 5.30, 6 p.m., but then some project comes in at 3 p.m. or some client calls with an emergency, and now all of a sudden you've got to stay till 6 or 7. Mm-hmm. Well, if I was just kind of winging it on my workouts and said I'll work out after work, now all of a sudden it's 8 o'clock and I haven't done my workout. Am I really going to stick with it? No. So I had to do an implementation intention, which was I needed to establish when, where, and how I was going to take on the action of working out. Yeah, and and one thing that that I think is true is your executed schedule for a day represents your priorities. Yep. Right. So what you do represents what your priorities are. Whether they're the priorities that you want or not, they took priority over other things. Mm-hmm. And so if you don't have it built into a schedule, if you don't have it like, hey, I've got this block right here that I'm going to execute this habit or this. Uh, you know, event, you know, whatever it is, uh, it's not going to happen. Right. Because then it is not a priority. It's not a priority to you. You can tell yourself it is, you can tell yourself, but if it doesn't have a place and I, and I'm, and I use this, if it doesn't have a place in your calendar, then it's not important to you. Yeah. And and part of, you know, the implementation intention. And again, I didn't say this. uh, I want to revisit something that I said last week. Make sure you buy this book if this is something that sparks your interest and read it yourself. We're not going through every single detail of this book, and that's mm-hmm. on purpose. We don't want to take the place of reading it. We want to guide you towards. Right. So he has a lot of great examples. So we're not going to touch on everything. This is an overall arching yeah. conversation. This is just, We're just wanting to highlight these different aspects that's he's right. talking about. But back to implementation intention, the thing that he talks about making a cue obvious is actually writing it down on paper. What's more obvious than seeing something written down on paper? Mm-hmm. That's his whole point is write down, I'm going to work out tomorrow at 6 a.m. Mm-hmm. at whatever, 24-hour fitness, wherever you go, at the, mm-hmm. the CrossFit gym. Mm-hmm. So that's his strategy number one. Strategy number two that he talks about and how you can make a habit obvious, which when it's obvious that that's the cue and that's going to lead to you doing it, is called habit stacking. He says, one of the best ways to build a new habit is to identify a current habit you already do each day and then stack your new behavior on top. This is called habit stacking. Habit stacking is a special form of implementation intention. Rather than pairing your new habit with a particular time and location, you pair it with a, cur- you pair it with a current habit. For example, let's say meditation is something you want to do. After I pour my, you would write down something like, after I pour my cup of coffee, each morning, I will meditate for one minute. Or maybe exercise, like we're talking about, is, is a habit that you want to create. After I take off my work shoes, I will immediately change into my workout clothes. So the key is to tie your desired behavior into something you already do each day. Again, this is something that I've done in the past. I didn't realize that's what it, I, I didn't have a name for it. That's just something I do. The first thing I think of is I have a whole morning system set up. So right when I wake up, I go to brush my teeth. Mm-hmm. What's next to my sink as I'm brushing my teeth? My workout clothes. Yeah. 
right? So I've laid out those workout clothes the night before right there where I can see them. Mm-hmm. So I'm already going to brush my teeth. That's already a habit that I've established. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But to create and to establish a habit of working out, a cue, making it obvious, is I have my workout clothes mm-hmm. right there, right by my uh, right by my sink. Right. So then I go in and I uh, make my morning cup of coffee. So as I'm drinking my coffee, this is a habit that I already have. I get my reading in. This is the time of day where I read my 10 pages or 20 pages or however much it is. This is my reading. So being a reader is something I want to continue. That's a habit I want to continue right. making. I'm already drinking coffee, so why not compare, combine the two? That's right. As I'm drinking my coffee, I'm doing my reading. Mm-hmm. In the new year, mm-hmm. a, a habit that I want to establish, and again, we talked about it last episode, it's been a, a, a good year in business for me, but I really want to establish my business development. Like that's yeah. something I really, really want to do a lot better mm-hmm. in 2022 and really make it a routine part yeah. of my day. And so my intention, how I'm going to apply habit stacking is before I take a break for lunch, which is something I'm going to do anyway, mm-hmm. I must get my business development work in, whether it's 15 minutes, whether it's an hour, I must do something mm-hmm. business development wise before I take my break for lunch. Mm-hmm. Those, that's how I'm going to stack that new, because that's not a habit that I have today. Mm-hmm. And so that's how I'm going to implement this to create that habit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it, it's, I do the same thing. So I've got, if, uh, if I am, if I set out my workout clothes, if I get my work clothes out, hung, ready to go, um, I set out my protein shaker, my protein, um, you know, any of the other things that I use, like for, for the likelihood of me getting up in the morning and going and grabbing it, it is so much more successful. Here's why is because it makes it, it just makes the whole process easier, right? It's, it makes it so where, Hey, I'm not rushed. I'm not stressed because, Hey, I'm going to work, I literally grab it on my way out and I'm gone and it's ready to go. And it's just, when you wake up and you don't think, Oh man, okay, I got to, Get my, I got to figure out what I'm going to wear. And then I've got to get my workout clothes, figure out where that's at. Okay. My wife's still sleeping. So it's dark. It just makes it so much harder. Mm -hmm. Right. So this habit stacking is making sure that you're putting yourself in a position for success to just make it as easy and seamless as possible. And that has been the biggest, biggest difference for me in the last year is because I am doing those little things. One of the other things is like prep for the night before that I didn't do a great job of my first couple of years is I've got an alarm on my phone at 8.15. It's prep for next day. That's what's on my alarm mm-hmm. is I get it and I prep for whatever it needs, whether it's get my calendar, anything that's got to get out, any reminders that I got to send to colleagues, uh, any clothes I've got to get. I set that and that's what I do every night at 8.15 because yeah. boom, kids are asleep and there's there's it's, it's ready to go. Had you ever heard of the term habit stacking? No. Before? Yeah, I never uh-huh. had a word for it, but it's just interesting how we naturally did a couple of those things. So mm. again, three strategies, uh, how to make something obvious. Number one, implementation, implementation intention. Number two, habit stacking. And then number three, he talks about design your ideal, quote unquote, ideal environment. And what he says about that, given that we are more dependent on vision than on any other sense, it should come as no surprise that visual cues are the greatest catalyst of our behavior. For this reason, a small change in what you see can lead to a big shift in what you do. As a result, you can imagine how important it is to live and work in environments that are filled with productive cues 
and devoid of unproductive cues. Thankfully, there's good news in this respect. You don't have to be a victim of, in your, of your environment. You can also be the architect of it. Mm-hmm. The first example that pops in my mind on this is nutrition. Yeah. If you are somebody who wants to establish the habit of, of being a healthier person when it comes to your nutrition, it makes sense that you wouldn't want Cheetos and Doritos and Twinkies in your, mm-hmm. uh, in your pantry at home. Yeah. Right. That's a cue, a visual cue mm-hmm. that is very obvious to sink back into that bad habit. If the Cheetos are there and I see them, I'm more likely to grab them. That's right. So it's stripping your pantry of all those quote unquote unhealthy foods and replacing with healthier snacks. Mm-hmm. Those are going to be the cues. That's how you can make it obvious to yourself that I want to eat healthier mm-hmm. is by having things on hand that you can see you're designing your environment to be a healthier person yeah, as right. opposed to somebody who is making these poor choices. Yeah. Poor, and I think, choices. I mean, even of that, of that exact example, um, how this is true and how I know that this is true is I look at, I look at my kids. Uh, we traditionally, and we were really diligent with my older two about, Hey, look, we only eat and we call it growing food. We only eat growing food. Like that's all we eat. We, we don't drink soda. We don't drink juice. Mm, I we like don't that. do any of that. Growing food. That's good. And we literally, our kids love vegetables. They love um, like clean proteins. So it was like the snacks were, okay, you could have like a, a Greek yogurt pouch. You could have uh, string cheese. You could have a pack of vegetables or you could have a piece of fruit. That's what my kids grew up knowing. Mm-hmm. Now, as we've kind of gotten older, things have just you know, kids and snacks in school and, you know, yeah, they, yeah. they, they experience it. The so environment they, ask for it, they wear you down. Right. The environment of yeah. our pantry has changed. Right. So now Rocco, my youngest, every five minutes, knack, Hey, can I have a, <laughs> can I have a snack? And it's like, dude. And so he goes in, he grabs like goldfish my, or he goes in and way. you know, we got a treat box. So the treat box is Halloween candy essentially right. all year long. <laughs> we bribe them with this treat yeah. box. Uh, but because that's there, it's triggered them, right? And like you said, it's cues because it's triggered them to say, oh, well, there's a treat right there. And nah, I think I need one of those. Nope. I think I need one of those right now. As opposed to, hey, I'm hungry. I'm going to fuel myself with something, something that's going to help me grow. And that's at the simplest level. Mm-hmm. Four years old, five years old, seven years old, 10 years old. My kids, when it's there, they want it. Mm-hmm. Whether it's good or bad, they want it. Yep. So it's the same for me. Like if I go into the pantry, right, and and there's peanut M and M's, that's what I want. Yeah. Oh yeah. But if there's some vegetables or fruit on the counter, I want that too. Right. Yeah. It's whatever you can see and whatever's in front of you. And that's, that's right. And we're talking about that here in a second. Is about self control because yeah. you're not alone in that. Yeah. It doesn't make you weird. It doesn't make you weak mm-hmm. to be thinking that way. If I see peanut M Ms, I want peanut. Well, yeah. No duh. Yeah. Uh, but, but back to, um, what he's talking about in your environment, he says every habit is initiated by a cue and we are more likely to notice cues that stand out. Unfortunately, the environments where we live and work often make it easy not to do certain actions because there's no obvious cue to trigger the behavior. When the cues that spark a habit are subtle or hidden, they're easy to ignore. By comparison, creating obvious visual cues can draw your attention toward a desired habit. Mm Mm-hmm. For example, if you want to practice guitar more frequently, place your guitar stand in the middle of the living room. He talks about 
if I want to practice guitar more, I wouldn't put my guitar back in the closet in a back bedroom that I never go in. No, put it out in the middle of the living room. If you want to make a habit a big part of your life, make the cue a big part of your environment. By sprinkling triggers throughout your surroundings, you increase the odds that you'll think about your habit throughout the day. And this was a line that I starred, underlined, freaking circled, whatever. This was a great line. It says, environment design allows you to take back control and become the architect of your life. Mm-hmm. Be the designer of your world and not merely the consumer of it. Mm-hmm. I love that line right there. So Victim mentality versus actually taking control and doing right. something about it. So what's, what's on my computer right here? Picture your wife and kids. Wife and kids. I'm not in the picture. Yeah. Very, very specifically because everything that I do on this computer is I need this cue mm. to remind me of what I'm doing it for, why I'm doing it. Oh, that's good. And not to sacrifice them mm. to do these things. Yes. And so that's something that a colleague of ours uh, shared with me and, and it was more geared towards, hey, how much money do you want to make? And this, and I'm using the tone as it's like derogatory, and that's not it. It was it was a great lesson. Yeah. But how much money do you want to make? How you're working hard for who? Remind yourself why you're working hard, why you're creating these good habits in the office, mm-hmm. so that you are providing for those people in this picture. That literally every second that I'm working, I see a picture of my wife and kids. I love that. And so that cue, a lot of times, if I get distracted, it's like, oh shit. Like I'm not with them right now. Mm-hmm. Like if I'm not with them, I'm I need to be effective. Make the most. Yeah. And I need to be productive. Wow, that's good. That's really good. I like that a lot. I'm gonna have to do that. I'm gonna have to steal that from you. Don't good, you can't my picture. Good cue. You, good, hey, use good the job making your own family, Ben. <laughs> <laughs> I can't use your wife and kids. <laughs> and so if you're sitting there thinking you're like, well, that's easy for you guys to say. You guys yeah. have discipline, you have self control. You don't understand. My environment's is different than you guys. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't have all these advantages or or whatever, whatever it is that you're sitting, whatever yeah. excuse you're sitting there thinking of, mm-hmm. this, uh, this next read is for you. He says, when scientists analyze people who appear to have tremendous self-control, it turns out that those individuals aren't all that different from those who are struggling. Instead, quote-unquote disciplined people are better at structuring their lives in a way that does not require heroic willpower and self-control. In other words, they spend less time in tempting situations. So yes, perseverance, grit, willpower are essential to success, but the way to improve these qualities is not by wishing you were a more disciplined person, but by creating a more disciplined environment. Self-control is a short-term strategy, not a long-term one. You may be able to resist temptation once or twice, but it's unlikely you can muster the willpower to override your desires every time. Instead of summoning a new dose of willpower whenever you want to do the right thing, your energy would be better spent optimizing your environment. This is the secret to self-control. Make the cues of your good habits obvious and the cues of your bad habits Mm. invisible. I love that. Yeah. Right? Just like you were saying earlier, if the peanut M&Ms are sitting there in my pantry and I know that I want to build better nutrition habits, it doesn't matter how much self-control I have. Mm. If that's there day after day after day, eventually I'm going to reach for those peanut M&Ms. Eventually I'm going to consume those. So it's, getting rid of all that stuff to not give yourself that cue, that obvious cue of, Hey, this is something that I want to take. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a little bit of what we talked about last week, like systems, right? Is goals versus systems. Mm-hmm. If you're creating a system that doesn't allow for temptation, that doesn't or reduces temptation. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to say it's, it's always going to be there, but it, it increases the likelihood of success exponentially. And here's the deal is, 
it, it's so funny that we're talking about, hey, you, you've got to have self-discipline. You've got to have self-control. You've got to have all these things. But it's not. It's really not that, right? It, it is a conscious decision that you make on the front end that takes some willpower. It does, yeah. If you're at the it grocery does. store it's, and you're going through the ice cream aisle and you're like, okay, yeah, it's going to take some self-control not to get it then, right? Right. right. But what it, what it does, though, is you're creating this system that's in place that, that protects you from it. And that's what people see as self-discipline. Right. And then once it becomes that habit, now it's just like, I mean, sugar is a prime example. It's one of those things, if you go and you, and you reduce or remove sugar from your diet for three weeks, the cravings of sugar go away. Mm -hmm. They're not nearly as strong. And that's one thing that like, when I'm really successful in my nutrition, it's when I, when I, I remove the temptation of it for three weeks, put myself in a position that I don't have to battle that self-discipline. Mm -hmm. Okay. And then at that point, the actual willpower, it's really easy to walk by a counter full of cookies at the office. Right. It's really easy to say no to that high starchy food that, you know, a client brings into the office or a vendor. It's, it's a whole lot easier because now it's a habit because I created a system that allowed me to create a habit of not eating bad yeah. stuff, yeah. stuff that doesn't move me closer to my goal. Yeah, absolutely. So again, to recap, the first law of behavior change is make it obvious. And the three strategies he talks about, and again, please go read this book because he's got so many good uh, little tidbits that, that we're just not going over. Uh, the three strategies to make a habit obvious. Number one, implementation intention. Basically write down when and where you're going to uh, mm -hmm. start doing the habit. Number two, habit stacking. So maybe you don't write down when and where, but you start pairing the habit that you want to perform with something that you're already doing. An mm -hmm. example of that is uh, while you are drinking your coffee, you do your reading if you want to become a reader. And the number three, design your ideal environment. As Tyler was saying, if you can walk by that uh, ice cream aisle at the grocery store, yes, that takes a lot of self-control in the moment, but guess what? When you get home and you don't have the ice cream with you, you're not going to be eating ice cream because mm -hmm. you don't have it there in your environment. You've established an environment that's conducive to your goals. So that's uh, first law number one. All right. We're going to take a quick break from the episode and recognize an opportunity that we all have. It, if you are having a hard week or you just need some R&R, here's what you got to do is you got to drive up 75 north, cross the Red River to Durant, Oklahoma, to Choctaw Casino and Resort. It is the best getaway that you can mm. get if you're in the Dallas area by far. And guess what? If you're listening from somewhere outside of DFW, say you're in South Texas or you're in another state, which we've yep. got some listeners uh, in other states, fly into Dallas, drive up. It is worth every penny. You don't have to go to Vegas anymore to have a world-class experience at a world-class resort and casino. Yeah, we talk about the restaurants that are up there, those steakhouses. We talk about the concert venue. Uh, we, we had a conversation with Aaron Watson previously, and he talked about the – the intimacy, every single seat in that concert venue is right on top. And there's not a bad seat in the house. There's not. And so these artists talk about it's one of the best places to play. And so go check, check out your, yourself a concert, the spa, the, the brand new expansion. I mean, it's just such a good time. To your point, Tyler, if you need a break, things are getting crazy, times are tough, get up there, get up to Choctaw Casino Resort, have yourself a great time. We, we experience it. We love it. Uh, they're doing great things in the community. Can't say enough good things, and we're so grateful for their partnership. That's Choctaw Casino Resort. Go check them out. I want to thank our sponsor, Sleep Number, who gives you the best break <laughs> of every single day of your life, which is sleep. 
Mm. And what they're doing with their technology and their mattresses is second to none. They have taken the mattress game and put it on steroids. Yeah. They check your heart rate, your, your circadian rhythm. They're doing all these different things to test you while you're sleeping to make sure that it's custom and that every single night is the most restorative, restful sleep that you're ever going to get. It's no accident that Sleep Number is the official sleep partner of the NFL. And because NFL athletes are at the top when it comes to recovery, when it comes to taking care of your body, and nothing is more important than sleep. We've talked about it on the show multiple times, making sure you take care of your sleep. And there's a reason that Dak Prescott sleeps on one every single Mm -hmm. night. And there's a reason that his career has blossomed the way that it has. So make sure either you go online, sleepnumber.com, you go into a local store, they're going to walk you through it. You're going to experience the entire process of understanding what your sleep score is or what your sleep number is. And then ultimately showing you how to achieve the highest sleep score uh, because that's what's important is how you actually sleep and how you recover so that you can tackle the day with everything that you have. It's the VIP experience that we're all looking for. That's right. Sleepnumber.com. Like Tyler said, go get yourself to a local store and get yourself that VIP experience. Now back to the episode. Second law uh, and law number two that we're going to talk about today is make it attractive. And this correlates with the craving Um, the craving aspect. So uh, regarding the second law, he says, if you want to increase the odds that a behavior will occur, then you need to make it attractive. Our goal is to learn how to make our habits irresistible. While it is not possible to transform every habit into a super normal stimulus, we can make any habit more enticing. Mm -hmm. So this leads to, and this is an interesting, I feel like there's, so many topics in this book that we've talked about previously on the show. Again, we didn't know necessarily right. that they were scientifically established, but it's just discussions that we've had. And yeah. the I'll be happy when mentality is something that he touches on. Uh, and I think that you'll, uh, you'll appreciate this. He says, when it comes to habits, the key takeaway is this. Dopamine is released not only when you experience pleasure, but also when you anticipate it. It is the anticipation of a reward, not the fulfillment of it, that gets us to take action. Interestingly, the reward system that is activated in our brain when you receive a reward is the same system that is activated when you anticipate a reward. This is one reason the anticipation of an experience can often feel better than the attainment of it. Your brain has far more neural circuitry allocating for wanting rewards than for liking them. For instance, researchers have found that 100% of the nucleus accumbens is, a, is activated during wanting. Meanwhile, only 10% of the structure is activated during liking. We need to make our habits attractive because of the expectation of rewarding experience that motivates us to act in the first place. So you are biologically set up in a way to want things more than actually achieving Things. I thought that was fascinating when yeah. I read that. So that totally explains the whole, well, I'll be happy when I get this big house. Well, then you get the big house and it's like, well, that doesn't feel good. So now I want the, the bigger house or whatever it is that you want. Mm-hmm. I thought that was really interesting that 100% of our brain is activated or this part of our brain is activating during the desire phase mm-hmm. while only 10% of the same structure is activated than the actual achievement. I thought that was fascinating. I wish we, I really wish we could have had this when we did the all happy win. Yeah. We might need to redo that episode. Yeah. Uh, But prime example, 
we just finished we just finished the holidays mm-hmm. right and i don't know if there's a better example in my opinion of painting a picture of this is christmas the anticipate i know you hate christmas so i'm speaking <laughs> screw i don't right hate here. it i just don't love but, it like everybody else but i i think you know <laughs> Usually it's the month of December. I feel like now culturally it's November and December, but is the anticipation for Christmas. That's the fun part, right? That's what's awesome, right? It's like, all right, the, the, the movies are on and the lights are up and we're, and we get to go look, uh, you know, drive through the neighborhoods and look at Christmas lights. We get to drink hot chocolate. We get to do, you know, all of these things that come with the season that are surrounded around one day. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and I'm, I'm, speaking in a secular perspective here right and and so now christmas you get to christmas day and then you open all the presents and it's like all right it's cool but then when you open it what does it feel like from like noon on right christmas yeah it's just still the same day day. it's just like it's any other day i have them all yeah i have everything that i wanted yep oh it's over (laughs) and that's what you think right you think about okay christmas is over and I, i could not agree more and, and that's why, I, we, and this could be an episode, is just you know being present in the journey and recognizing in the moment of that journey, listen, this is, these are the feelings as good as it's going to get. So right. enjoy the journey. Yeah. Enjoy the, the workouts. Because look, dude, the, the endorphins that are released for me wanting the goal to reach this level of fitness or the joy to reach this level of success professionally, or this new habit or mm-hmm. talent or whatever it is. That's the fun part. Yeah. That's where we receive the most joy mm-hmm. through the process. But we're so focused on looking forward that we don't even recognize that through that process, look, guys, we're receiving the, the most chemical euphoria in this phase right now mm-hmm. than even when we get there. Yeah. So enjoy this. Yeah. And by the way, it, it is a good thing that we're wired that way. Yeah. And the reason for that, but, but I do think back to, and we've talked about this earlier, you know, when you have a financial year, let's say you have a, a, a really good income year, you're in business, you're in sales and you're, you have a year that you've never had before, mm-hmm. right? This happened to us a couple of years ago. You have a year that you never had before. And I thought all of a sudden my life was just going to be totally different, right? Everything's, you know, colors are going to be brighter. Food was going to taste better. Mm-hmm. And then what, guess what? The next day I was right on to the next goal. Yep. Right. And, and again, that's actually a good thing that we're wired that way. Cause think about back when we had to hunt for our food mm-hmm. and we had to survive and we were battling all these different elements. If our brain was super satisfied when we accomplished something, you're probably going to stick too much to that satisfaction yeah. and be complacent. And you're mm-hmm. not going to work for the yeah. next thing. The problem is in a, in a, you know, modern times we made surviving so easy. <laughs> We've now replaced these desires for needing to hunt and kill our food and then eat and be good with it and then need to do it again to keep surviving. We replace that with modern problems, which to your point, uh, the anticipation of Christmas, it's still the same biological desire we had thousands of years ago. It's just now we've replaced it with the anticipation of a holiday as opposed to wanting to eat more. So yes, totally agree with what you're saying. We need to learn to be able to appreciate the achievement more, mm. but realizing that it is a good thing because this, that's what keeps us pushing forward. That's yeah, what keeps us driving. But I think that's what I was goals. saying though, is that while you're in the pursuit of that or the anticipation of it, 
soak that in. Yep. Soak yeah. that process in. Yeah. And so you don't have this resentment of, oh, well, I'll be happy when I get there. It's, look, this is, frick, I'm working my tail off to get to this goal. I'm going to enjoy this process. Mm-hmm. Think about think about the impact. And, and, and I mentioned it um, last week was my goal for this year is to just live more in joy. Don't live in this. I'll be happy when I get to this. Right. It's in the daily pursuit that, hey, I am, I am soaking it in. Because mm-hmm. I know that this... This is, this is where I'm, I'm receiving the benefits is in the pursuit, not necessarily when I get to the actual, yeah. you know, yeah. that's right. Tangible goal. That's right. So the first law, make it obvious. He had three strategies of how you can make it obvious. Same thing. And the second law of make it attractive, three strategies to make a habit attractive. Number one, use temptation bundling. Temptation bundling works by linking an action you want with an action you need to do. You're more likely to find a behavior attractive if you get to do one of your favorite things at the same time. For example, after I get back from my lunch break, I will call three potential clients. So you're bundling the enjoyment of lunch with now the habit of trying to increase your business. It says, engineering a truly irresistible habit is a hard task, but this simple strategy can be employed to make nearly any habit more attractive than it would be otherwise. Mm-hmm. Again, I didn't know this was a phrase, but something I do naturally, uh, the most obvious example I think of is whenever I'm washing dishes or cleaning up the house, I throw my headphones on and I listen to a podcast. Mm-hmm. So I love listening to podcasts. It's something I enjoy, and I do that while it's, I'm doing something that, I need, that needs to be done, yeah. habit, which is cleaning up or, or yep. doing dishes. All of a sudden, I could care less how long cleaning, cleaning the dishes takes mm-hmm. because I'm doing something enjoyable while I'm doing right. it. So yeah, and, and something for me, and by the way, um, I love that you just said, hey, uh, while I'm at home with my family, I put in my headphones and ignore my kids. So <laughs> well, how, much, how much it's bonding good. am I really going to be getting while I'm washing dishes? <laughs> <laughs> We've got friends that do that. It's like, hey, I just need time. So like, I'll throw in headphones and like, as I'm cooking, I'm like watching a show and I just, my kids come in, it's like, can't, can't hear you. Can't hear you. I got headphones. I'm hey, sorry. My life's way better for it. <laughs> uh, but for me, so this is like... My, my go-to is I, so I love driving. Yeah. I love driving. That's weird, I love but, yeah. being, I, I, I just, I love it. Um, and, and I love driving my truck. Like my wife, my wife's got a, a you know, she's got a, a car, really a much, much nicer car than I have. She's like, do you want to drive? I'm like, nah, not really. I like driving my truck. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of hard to drive sometimes. I mean, it kind of bounces all over the road. It's, <laughs> it's all right. Uh, I love driving it. Um, and so what I found is when I'm on the road and I've got a 45 minute ish commute from the office to my house is I'm in a place of like euphoria when I'm in behind that windshield and I'm driving and, and, and typically in the country, uh, I don't, I don't love, I actually get anxiety when I drive in the city, but out in the country, I love driving. So what I found is, is I take that or there's times that I'll go for a drive to give myself a sense of peace. But I get calls done. I get relationship calls done. So I'll call clients, just touch base. Mm-hmm. If I've got to get something done, hey, I call, get that done. I call an old friend, touch base. I get a lot of calls done. It's good. A lot of calls done while I'm while I'm driving. Uh, anytime I've got a business trip, like there's a, a couple of weeks ago, I was down in Houston. I'm sorry, uh, Austin uh, for a couple of tours, and those two trips to and from, I got more done on calls than most days at work because now I'm, I'm pairing this, I'm pairing these two things mm-hmm. 
um, something that I love with a task that I can actually yeah, do. That's good. That's good. So step number one on uh, the three strategies to make a habit more attractive is use temptation bundling. Basically pair something that you already do uh, with a habit that you want to implement. The second thing he talks about is um, join a culture where the desired habit is the normal behavior. And what he writes, sorry, let me get to that page. What he writes here is the culture we live in determines which behaviors are attracted to us. We tend to adopt habits that are praised and approved of by our culture because we have a strong desire to fit in and belong to the tribe. One of the most effective things you can do to build better habits is to join a culture where one, your desired behavior is the normal behavior. And two, you already have something in common with the group. Now, this is much easier said than done, I would yeah. say, unfortunately, because I think of uh, my mind on this particular point goes to the negative side, which is what about the kids growing up in the inner city that are constantly surrounded by drug dealers and, you know, mm -hmm. one or two, you know, one parent households, mm -hmm. right? So that's an environment where the desired behavior is to do things maybe illegally to survive and to make an income. And so that's what I think of on the negative side of, well, how does that kid, how does that 12-year-old, 13-year-old, 14-year-old change his environment if that's where he's growing up? Yeah. Now, I don't have the answer to that today. I'm sure there's things that we could brainstorm and we could, we could think of if that's your scenario. But for the majority of us listening to this podcast right now, we're probably in an environment where we can at least, we have some say mm -hmm. in what's going on. We can, we can either move to a different location. We can move to a different job. We have some say. And so I think that's the point here is if you have the ability, make sure that you surround yourself or join a group that are doing the things that you want to establish. For me, I think of two examples. Number one, growing up, I told you this before, drinking alcohol was never a temptation for me because the three or four best friends that I was with all the time didn't drink. For whatever reason, we all three established, we all four or five of us established, maybe not like stated, but just for whatever reason, we stayed away from alcohol. And so by doing that, by constantly being with each other, we fed off that with each other. It was just never, like it was never crossed our minds to think, hey, let's go get hammered tonight just because that wasn't a desire of ours right. and so that environment that i was in was conducive to somebody that in fact you make fun of me if you want i didn't have my first drink my literal first drink until my 21st birthday yeah. which i know that's not common and i'm not saying i'm not looking down on people that did or that, that I, I could care less i'm just saying for me looking back mm -hmm. it wasn't because i had some sort of strange willpower or desire or some fear of drinking it was more so because the people i hung around yeah. weren't doing it that's right and then fast forward a couple of years ago when I was in the fitness industry, I worked at a, a high-end gym called Equinox. And if you don't know what Equinox is, it's a very uh, expensive gym that it's usually in the more affluent parts of, you know, there's a lot in LA, New York. There's a couple here in Dallas that one of them's in the uh, wealthiest neighborhood in Dallas. The other one is in the second wealthiest neighborhood in Dallas. And I worked at one of those gyms. And so for me, that was an environment that kept me pursuing more because the clients that I interacted with were people that I deemed successful in life. People that had, you know, they were very well-known doctors or they were CEOs of big companies, right? They were people that had established themselves. So I was constantly in an environment that kept me 
feeding and fueling for more. Now, there's downsides of that that we can go down, but the positive side of it was there was constantly somebody there that was an environment that was conducive to making myself better. Yeah. No, that's, that's, that's good. And, and I think the key is, is, is surrounding yourself with people that, um, that help you achieve goals rather than take you away from those goals. And you've got to establish what those goals are. I think an example for me is when I was playing, um, and I, and I mentioned this group a couple times, um, but in the NFL, it's really easy, uh, to start feeling really good about yourself. It's really easy, um, to, to just be about that life. When I say about that life, you know, you know, spending money, going Gucci out, flip flops and yeah, going out and doing all that. Um, and it's really easy to get wrapped up in just the football. Like we talked about on the last episode, identity. Um, I, after my first year, um, I went to a conference called professional athletes outreach. It's now called the increase conference, but, um, it's a, it's a nonprofit ministry that, um, has been around for 52 years and it's, it's a player to player ministry. So players run it. I mean, obviously there's a staff, but, um, and we do a conference every year. There's Bible study, uh, through the year for the players, for their wives. Um, we're actually doing like a retired conference locally. Um, but it's one thing and it. And so what, what this did is it created a community, a small community within a larger fraternity, uh, the NFL of, okay, Hey, look, I want to pursue my faith. I want to pursue, um, uh, being a great leader. I want to pursue all these things that, that are going to help, uh, achieve, you know, the overall goal as it relates to football. But the biggest goal, right, is my, is my faith. That's number one. And so what it did is it created a community. So literally after every single game, man, it was so cool because we, we do one conference at the time. We did one conference a year. But now you look across to that other sideline and you realize, man, yeah, they're on the other football team, but we're all on the same team. And it created this community. So now we'd come together after the game as everybody comes down and, you know, we get our prayer. But then it's like you do life. Like, hey, man, how's it going, man? How's your journey going? How's, your, how's the team? How's the family? How's it? And this community, and it was something that held me accountable. Now I'd go from that, then I'd go back to our team, now running our team Bible study, now doing all these things because this overall bigger community. Right. And one of the things that we'd say in it is, look, there's the stadium and there's the locker room, right? In the stadium... When you're out playing, you've got 70 to 100,000 people watching you. What's the impact that you're going to make to those people that are watching you as a fan, right? What are you going to do with that platform that you've been given? The second is the locker room. What's the influence that I'm going to make in the locker room with my peers, the one-on-one? -on -one? And so surrounding yourself with people that, that either challenge you or encourage you or lift you up or walk alongside you, whatever it may be, finding that community is going to help you stay accountable and achieve uh, the goals and create the habits that you're trying to. Right. Yeah, totally agree. So whatever the, whatever the goal is, whatever the habit is you're trying to create, whether it's getting healthier and working out more, join a CrossFit gym, right? Join that community of people 
that are all working for the same common goal. If it's a relationship with the Lord, join a good church. Find yourself a community group, people that are going to feed into mm-hmm. what it is that you're trying to accomplish. Uh, maybe it's business success. Yeah. Find yourself a company. Well, or a networking group. Or a networking or, group yep. of people that are all working towards the same goal mm-hmm. that, are, that are after what you want. So yep. establish or join a culture where the desired behavior where the desired behavior is the normal behavior. Yep. So strategy number one, use temptation bundling. Strategy number two, Join a culture where the desired behavior is the normal behavior. Mm-hmm. And then strategy number three, the last strategy we'll talk about here, is create a motivational ritual. Do something you enjoy immediately before a difficult habit. So from the book, he says, you can create a motivational ritual. You simply practice associating your habits with something you enjoy. Then you can use that cue whenever you need a bit of motivation. Ed Lattimore, a boxer and writer from Pittsburgh, wrote, my focus and concentration goes up just by putting my headphones on while writing. I don't even have to play music. Without realizing it, he was conditioning himself. In the beginning, he put his headphones on, played some music he enjoyed, and did focused work. After doing it 5, 10, 20 times, putting his headphones on became a cue that he automatically associated with increased focus. The craving followed naturally. Mm-hmm. So this guy would put his headphones on anytime he wanted to write, And the act of actually putting his headphones on got his mind mentally prepared and ready to write. Mm -hmm. I think for me, I I said this last time, this time I don't remember when I said it, business development, enhancing my business development, being a better quote unquote salesman in what we do and and business development is, uh, is, is honing that skill. So how I could use a motivational ritual, because it's not the most fun thing in the world to, to sit down and make a bunch of cold calls. So what comes to mind for me is by finding a, a partner who has a goal as well, mm-hmm. has this goal as well, and get together and make calls together. Mm-hmm. So to me, now that's more enjoyable. I've got somebody who's struggling through this with me, mm-hmm. somebody who's maybe making some mistakes that we can give feedback to each other. Maybe it's a group of people, mm-hmm. right? So I'm doing something I enjoy, which is being with you know, a coworker and a friend mm-hmm. while doing something difficult, which is our business development time. That's can right. you think of anything that you do, any motivational rituals? I guess the locker room, maybe putting on your yeah, yeah. So you know, nah. So music was a weird thing for me, so I can't, I can't really use that. Um, But it's weird. So like working out right now, like my ritual, and and this is probably an unhealthy ritual, I guess. But you know how I love caffeine, right? Yeah. And so (laughs) my ritual is all right. Hey, you get to you get to drink this pre workout on your way to work out. Like, I love it. Like I love, like, I don't know what it is, right? Yeah. There's this. And so the second I drink it, I'm committed. Now I'm working yeah. out. Yeah. And you I can't will, take pre workout and just and not sit work around out. all day. That's right. <laughs> and so for me, like that's, that's one. Um, that's a good one actually. Yeah. Because, because now, okay. Hey, I, I get right. to do this only if I work yeah. out. Yeah. Um, so that's one. Um, I think the other one is, is working with a teammate and you mentioned it on on business development, but just on projects. Because if I work with a teammate and say, okay, hey, look, we're gonna sit down in a room and we're gonna go over either this proposal, we're gonna go over this lease, we're gonna go over this business development plan, we're gonna go over the strategy for this presentation, whatever it is, for me, I enjoy that collaboration so much more than I actually do the task. I hate doing the task, I do. But if I'm working with somebody and it's like, okay, hey, you do this, I'll do this. Okay, what's a cool idea? Going through the creative thought process of it. I love that. And then I'll get to, and then i go do the task. Yeah. Uh, reminds me of another example, a coworker of ours who's one of our top uh, producing brokers, young guy around our age. 
the way he implemented this, again, he wouldn't have called it this. He didn't know that's what it was called. Mm -hmm. But last year, uh, he established a habit that every time his TV was on, so if he was turning mm -hmm. on to watch the Mavericks or if he was turning on to watch football, anytime his TV was on, he had his computer open up in front of him, and he had to reach out to five new <sighs> prospects every time his TV was on. So he was sitting there, something he enjoyed, which is watching TV, mm -hmm. paired with something that maybe is not the most enjoyable thing, which is business development. But he established that habit of five reach outs every time he watched TV, and now he's yeah. one of our top producing brokers in the company, yeah. right? Because he established that habit. Yeah. So again, those three strategies, how do you make a habit more attractive? Number one, you can use temptation bundling, um, which is basically... You know, like I said, the example I used was listen to podcasts while I clean. Yeah. Number two, join a culture where the desired behavior is the normal behavior, like we talked about earlier. Mm -hmm. Join a CrossFit gym. Join a church community group. Uh, whatever community, whatever group you're trying to emulate, that's the group you need to join. Yep. And then number three is create a motivational ritual. Um, mm -hmm. Do something you enjoy immediately before a difficult habit, like I just said. Yep. Maybe that's why you every time you watch TV, you're, you're reaching out to five different potential mm -hmm. uh, prospects or clients. So... Those are the first two laws. Yeah. Again, number one, make it obvious. Uh, three strategies there. Number two, make it attra attractive. Again, three more actionable uh, steps there. Next week, we're going to go over laws three and four, which are make it easy and make it satisfying. Mm -hmm. So we've established how to make something obvious. We've established a way to make it attractive, something we want to do. Mm -hmm. Now, how do we make sure that it's an easy, something we're going to continue doing on? Actually right? going to respond exactly, to. Exactly, yeah. exactly. And then make it satisfying. How can we enjoy the final result of that? So hopefully you guys are appreciating this, uh, this series that we're doing. Again, we got some feedback uh, from, from a listener that uh, they weren't as happy as uh, maybe we were of just kind of winging these episodes. But you guys don't just, want to just hear us just talk about what we want to talk about. And, and using, you know, using personal experiences only, we want to make it a goal of ours in 2022 mm -hmm. and beyond uh, to start bringing in some, some true resources that can hopefully really make right. an impact on you. Uh, true experts in whatever their field is. So, uh -huh. Uh, again, hopefully you're enjoying this series, Atomic Habits by James Clear. Go out, buy the book on Amazon, wherever else uh, books are sold. Uh, and then again, tune in next week as we continue part three of our study. We're on Instagram at not the Darren Woodson show anymore, not Dar at Darren Woodson show anymore. We're at one dot shot dot pod on Instagram. We're on YouTube at one shot podcast. Uh, and then leave us a review and rating on the podcast. Platforms. If you already followed the Darren Woodson show, does it automatically it automatically change? Yeah. So okay. if you saw a brand new logo and one shot and you're like, what is this? Well, you didn't listen to our, I didn't, fo I didn't, follow you didn't, didn't listen to our, yeah. uh, our round table from right before the year ended. Um, yeah, you didn't have to do anything. If you're already following us on Instagram, if you're already subscribed to the podcast, you don't have to, if you're already subscribed on YouTube, mm -hmm. uh, you're, you're an A player in our book, but you didn't have to change anything. It's all yeah. automatically all changed for you. So, uh, again, hopefully you guys enjoy this. Hopefully you have a great rest of the week and we will see you next week. Appreciate y'all.